Earlier this week, Republican Senator Jeff Flake held a press conference. Thank you for being here. Uh, we've just asked for unanimous consent on the floor of the Senate to bring the uh, Special Counsel Independence and Integrity Act to the floor. Uh, this was legislation that passed the Judiciary Committee on April 26th. He was trying to revive a bill that the Senate first considered back in the spring. It would protect Special Counsel Robert Mueller from political interference. So this is a, a legislation that would have codified Justice Department rules saying that you can only fire uh, the special counsel for good cause. Dolly Lithwick covers the courts for Slate. She was watching this moment closely. It was voted on in committee last April and then it's just been sort of moldering on the shelves since then. But when the president fired his attorney general last week and replaced him with a hardline loyalist, many Washington insiders started to worry about Mueller's future. So here's Flake saying, uh, comes forward with Chris Coons and says, damn it, no, now we're going to vote on this. And Mitch McConnell's like, I don't think we need it. I trust Trump. He's not going to fire Mueller. (laughs) And this moment, Dahlia thinks of it as a kind of conservative gut check. For some, what happened to the Justice Department last week crossed a line. Others didn't think so. So what's interesting is the folks for whom it was a red line— who have just negotiated that away. And then uh, in tandem with that, people like Senator Jeff Flake, who seemingly say, no, actually, this remains a red line. And in fact, the firing of Sessions is not beyond a red line. It's a flashing red light. Like this means, you know, Trump has Mueller in his crosshairs. And so for me, what's interesting is that split. Here is Jeff Flake, who, you know, writes this book, Conscience of a Conservative, who has been out on the hustings for two years, saying all the right things and doing nothing. Nothing. He's the one I'm watching now. I rise today to speak in defense of the special counsel, of special counsel Robert Mueller. Dahlia almost doesn't want to say this, but she thinks Jeff Flake is taking a stand. Because after that Mueller bill got shut down, Senator Flake stood on the floor of the Senate and he made this threat. One further note on this unanimous consent request that has just failed today. Senator Coons and I are prepared to make it again and again until there is a vote on this vital bipartisan legislation on the Senate floor. And I have informed the majority leader that I will not vote to advance any of the 21 judicial nominees pending in the Judiciary Committee or vote to confirm the 32 judges awaiting confirmation on the Senate floor until S-2644 is brought to the full Senate for a vote. He said, if you don't vote on my bill, I won't vote on your judges. And so it escalated. You know, initially there was this standoff. Chuck Grassley said on Thursday, like, I think he was kind of serious. And then apparently there was this sort of shouting fight behind closed doors where McConnell said, I need you to back down on this. We have to push these judges through. And uh, Jeff Flake said, I'm not backing down. Flake is a lame duck, retiring at the end of this session. But this moment, Dahlia thinks it might just might be some kind of turning point. You can watch, you know, (laughs) Jeff Flake and your heart will break and tears will pour from your eyes and nothing will happen. But I think what Jeff Flake is doing around protecting Mueller is kind of new. I'm Mary Harris. This is What Next. On today's show, Dahlia Lithwick takes us behind this argument conservative thinkers are in the middle of right now. 
what actions violate the rule of law? And where do you draw the line? Dahlia says this argument, it is not just talk. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, guys, um, before we get to the show today, I have a really quick request for you. After you've listened, head over to slate.com slash whatnextfeedback. That's slate.com slash whatnextfeedback. All one word. That is where we are collecting all of your words of wisdom about the show, what you loved, what you loved a little less. We need your ideas. So get in touch. And thanks. All right. So Dolly Lithwick, she is watching Jeff Flake. And she admits it's not the first time Flake has given liberals hope that he's going to stand up to the Trump administration. Remember the Kavanaugh confirmation process? So I asked Dahlia, how do we know Flake's latest move is real? Well, you know, he gave his speech. He said, I'm not going to let a single judge through. He found Chuck Grassley and Mitch McConnell's That's the spot, right? That's the thing if you want to hurt. Not clearing tens of judges who are either stuck in committee or stuck uh, before the full Senate. That hurts. And so I think in a sense he has gone from sort of maundering, discursive, like it shouldn't be like this, to I'm a lame duck senator. I've got two months left to effectuate something, a month left. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to block all the judges. And I realize I sound like I'm like Patty Hearst syndrome. Like, I love you, Jeff. Hold <laughs> me, Jeff. Like, but I think if this were just words, after he said what he said, McConnell would have done a deal, some kind of deal to mollify him, which has happened before, you know. Can we take a second and explain why the judges are so important? Because this administration has put through a lot of judges, Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's extraordinary. The, the number of uh, NPR had this, Carrie Johnson had a piece yesterday that was just mind-boggling in terms of, you know, lifetime appointments on the appeals court, 29 judges, 53 district court judges, and two Supreme Court justices. Obama couldn't get judges through at all. In his last year, he was almost completely stymied. The reason it's important, I mean, there's a sort of obvious reason it's important, which is, you know, that these are Article Three judges. They serve for life. Uh, the NPR report really broke down how many of them are white men uh, as compared to, you know, Obama, who had done so much, and Clinton, who had done so much, and, and Bush, by the way, who had really made efforts to have a bench that looked like America. And they're young, right? They're young. They're extremely conservative. I mean, I can't say it strongly enough. These are not— Bush judges. Uh, These are judges who, many of whom have no judicial experience, many of whom have very little litigation experience. Some of them have just been bloggers uh, for far-right, you know, conservative enterprises. And they're all getting, you know, there are mechanisms in the Senate, even pre-filibuster. You know, there was a blue slip, this arcane way that home state senators could block judges they didn't like. All of those are gone. Every check is gone. 
And so these judges get stacked in hearings. Well, you get two, three appeals court judges, five district court judges. Never has it happened that way. They've done away with the ABA used to, to rate them. That's gone. So every so possible everyone gets a rubber stamp. quality like, control. Yeah. Quality control gone. To, just to your question, the reason it matters is because this is the fulfillment of a decades-long pledge that Republicans in the conservative legal movement had to overtake the federal courts. Right, right. But so here's, you have so much hope for Flake. <laughs> no, I have very little hope for Flake, but it's hope. <laughs> but it's like a burning ember that you're like fanning. Yeah, I'm um, all about the embers. But I, see, I feel like he's like a really good example of the issue here. He likes these judges as much as the next guy. Right. Like he would love to get these judges through. They're going to make the kind of decisions that he agrees with fundamentally as a real conservative. But he started drawing this line. And what happens next really depends on where these very fuzzy lines are for people. And that's why I look at Jeff Flake and I'm like, is this really going to hold? And I guess we'll know in the next, what, week or two, whether he's actually going to get in the way. And and, and and to be perfectly fair, here here I will squelch your ember or I will, I will pour freezing water over your ember. It almost doesn't matter because in January, when there are even more Republicans on the Judiciary Committee and more Republicans uh, in the Senate, it's not going to matter. So it is entirely possible that even if Jeff Flake prevails— for a few weeks, he will still in the aggregate have lost because these judges are going to get on the bench. And so it raises this question, why this, why now? And I think at the core of your question, there's this really interesting thing, which is my suspicion is one of the reasons that Jeff Flake held his nose and voted 84 percent of the time or whatever it was with Trump is because of these judges. So the irony that he's using in a perfectly transactional sense, the one thing he probably agrees with more than anything else, more than like the deregulatory piece, more than the tax cut, he probably agrees on the judges. And he's using that as a transactional thing to stand up to Mitch McConnell. That is kind of interesting. Hmm. And we have to stop saying, you know, you fail some purity test. Where were you for the past two years? You let all these judges through, you know, Federalist Society. How dare you now take on the championing of Mueller? Like, I think we have to find our allies where they are. And that it's not flake qua flake. It's the proposition that if Flake decides that his last stand will be to protect Mueller at all costs, even if it is obviated in January, I think we have to credit him a little with that. We're going to be back in a moment. Could we go back a little bit? Because I feel like as Jeff Flake was making this stand, there was this other thing happening, which is there's this big conservative meeting in D.C. this week, the Federalist Society normal humans who aren't following the legal world might not know who they are. Can you talk a little bit about what they do and how important they've been, especially to getting these judges where they are right now? Yeah, it is It is hard to overstate how important it is. The Federalist Society, when I said that there was this decades-long plan to pack the courts with young movement conservatives, that is the 
full fruition of what the Federalist Society has been trying to do. There is no analog on the left. The Federalist Society was initially a group of young uh, law professors who said that conservatives were being sort of swamped in the academy, and they wanted to build a machinery to support young conservative students. And it has flourished under Leonard Leo into this. uh, Jeff uh, Tubin has an amazing piece on this uh, in The New Yorker from a year ago, but it is flourished into a hatchery where, you know, young conservative law students are groomed. They are placed with the right uh, clerkships. They are moved up uh, into the Supreme Court clerkships. They get the right positions in the administration. And then they're whisked into the judicial branch. And they can be 25, 30, 35 years old. And as I say, there's no analog on the left. One of the reasons Barack Obama was just so slow to move on judges in his first year or two is that there was no machine that turned around and said to him, we, you're, you got, we gave you the presidency, seat our judges. And so that's what the Federalist Society has done. And when they have their you know, big prom uh, this week uh, in D.C., it is literally, and last year the same, just a victory dance. Like we have achieved the thing we set out to do, which is overrun the federal courts with very conservative, very young, usually very white, very male judges who will sit for life. Well, and this week, they've always had a little bit of a disagreement within the Federalist Society itself about whether uh, Trump is acceptable or not. But this week, we began to see some players, important players in this community, begin to speak out. Someone like George Conway, right? Who's married to Kellyanne Conway. As as Trump is quick to note. Exactly. Mr. Kellyanne Conway, (laughs) excuse me, wrote this op-ed, first of all, criticizing what happened at the DOJ and saying it wasn't legal, uh, and then formed this checks and balances group, sort of in the middle of this conservative meeting. So to you, I guess you see that, is that more embers for you? Are you like, yes, this is the beginning of, of where we're going? Yeah, I I don't even think that's embers. For me, that is signal movement. And, you know, just to go back to Federalist Society for one minute, the story that came out of last year's Federalist Society, their big conclave in D.C., was this funny kind of— it was a trivial story, but everybody told it where they were handing out these stress balls that said, wait for it, but Gorsuch. And everybody was like squeezing these but Gorsuch stress balls because but Gorsuch became the name of the whole movement. Like it was all worth it for Gorsuch, for getting that seat. And that was the stress ball that everybody was talking about last year. Interestingly, this year, right on the eve of the conclave, George Conway and a, a bunch of other, you know, very, very smart, thoughtful leaders in the conservative movement announced the day before the Federalist Society event that they're peeling off. And some of them, I think it was Jonathan Adler, uh, who's a young law professor, gave interviews in which they said, you know, the but Gorsuch stress ball, like that's not enough. You know, like that's Mm. not enough. And so I think they're very clear in their mission statement that they don't, they're not at a war with FedSoc, they're not, there's no part of them that is defining themselves oppositionally, but they are saying very clearly, we're a country that believes in rule of law. We're a country that believes in truth and in telling the truth and in immutable, you know, you don't make stuff up. And they believe in the Justice Department. That's one of the things that scares them. One of the things that they were at pains to talk about was the Jim Acosta being uh, decredentialed. And so it is not nothing to have 
leaders in the conservative movement essentially say, and this goes back to your Jeff Flake question, we're not willing to put up with anything to get our judges. We're not willing to put up with all things because but Gorsuch. What can they really do, though? I mean, I get it that they have a voice, but how can they actually have an impact? I think that we are very quick to say it's all just words. Words, 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 right? Words mean nothing and blah, blah, Jeff Flake, like you in your mouth. But I think that it's really important that one of the things that um, the George Conway team are doing are they are making this argument, this like sane, lucid argument about why checks and balances matter and why the rule of law matters and why this Nixonian view that if the president takes your press credentials away, it's never unconstitutional. That's not nothing. That's not just words. So I feel like you're making this argument, which is really interesting, which is basically to have these folks standing up, it changes the environment where it's like right now we're sort of Trump is setting the environment. We're in his jungle that he's created. And they're saying, no, actually, we're in this room over here. We all need to see it clearly. They're sort of turning the lights on for us, which is great. But I sort of wonder— you're Are making we? this squidgy face. What's the squidgy face? <laughs> <laughs> That's just my face. Um <laughs> Like, are we all in the same environment? Like, they're making these arguments, but are they making the arguments to the right people? Like, and we just had this election, right, where it was really clear that the bulk of Americans are rejecting Trumpism, but there are these geographic locations where that's not happening. And I don't know if the people in those geographic locations are listening to George Conway, are listening to Jeff Flake even. And Jeff Flake's about to be, you know, out of there. This is a great question. And I think it, it raises something that's more than an ember for me, and that is the courts and the rule of law. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, a lot of folks, when you look at the exit polling, when they rejected Trump and Trumpism, a lot of it is about the xenophobia and the misogyny and, you know, Brett Kavanaugh and whatever that's come to represent. A lot of it is that people just think there needs to be a check. They think there needs to be a check, and they don't maybe can't parse, you know, what that looks like. But they certainly, I think, overwhelmingly said, we need some entity that is going to rein him in. And and this goes to why, like, I love the law. And it's more than just an ember for me. I mean, we are looking at a Trump judge who was appointed in 2017, who just reinstated Jim Acosta's press credentials. Just today. Just like today. Minutes before we sat into the studio. And you can say, like, oh, blah, blah. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. You know, it's a due process argument. It's going to come back. But it's not nothing. It's not nothing that the White House didn't have the temerity to go into that court and make the Sarah Sanders. He put his hands on her argument. Mm. It matters that they abandoned that argument. And when the judge pressed them on it, they were like, oh, it's not in our pleadings that he put his, you know, hands on the girl because it in didn't Twitter happen. Feed. But I think that for right now, let's have this conversation about whether it matters that we have an independent probe. And if, if George Conway wants to be in the trenches with us, I will welcome him with open arms. <laughs> Dolly Lithwick, bring in the hope. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dolly Lithwick is the host of the Amicus podcast. She covers courts and the law for Slate. And that's our show. This is our last day of piloting, which we've been doing over the last month or so in public. We're going to be back in January. Stay subscribed. Over the next few weeks, we might drop a couple of surprises in your feed. In the meantime, make sure you tell us what you think about what we're doing. 
You can do that in a really easy way. Just head over to slate.com slash whatnextfeedback. That's slate.com slash whatnextfeedback. All one word. There's a little quiz there, and you can tell us what you think about the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson and Jason DeLeon. We have been engineered by Terrence Bernardo. I'm going to see you back here in a few weeks. In the meantime, have a great Thanksgiving. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.